If you have your Bibles, please open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4 today. Before I pray, I'd like to read two separate scriptures. Let me read from Psalm 119.9. It says, How can a man keep his way pure by keeping according to your word? And then in verse 11, the same chapter, it says, Your word I've treasured in my heart, that I might not sin against you. And Father, that is our desire today, that we would keep our life pure, our minds, our thoughts, our actions, that we would glorify you. And we know it's, it's following after your word, the living word, Jesus Christ. It's taking your word, that written word, and planting it deep in our heart, treasuring it, valuing it. Lord, that's our desire, that we not sin against you. So this morning, as, as we study your word, we ask that you would speak to us, again, individually, personally, and corporately, Lord. And Lord, that you would strengthen our minds and our hearts, that you would encourage us and provoke us on to those things that you would have us do. And all God's people said, Amen. This morning we're looking, as I mentioned, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And while we've been focusing on the soldier, and today we're going to look at the soldier's conflict. And a lot of people don't think about it or recognize it or even agree with it that we're in a spiritual battle. Satan is a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. If God would only open up our eyes, that is our spiritual eyes, we could see the battle that's going on for your soul, for your mind to distract you, to turn you away from the living God. And that's again what's being written in our text in so many ways. There is this battle going on and, and there's a conflict. It's, it's the flesh and the spirit. But the enemy is always looking for an opportune time to take you out, to sidetrack you, to cause you to lose the focus. Well, what I'd like to do is read really, again, verses 1 through 10, which is the context that we've been breaking it down and looking at it very closely. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who's enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, do not win a prize unless they, he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, according to David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even the imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. 
For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with its eternal glory. If you have been born again, you are a Christian, been placed in the body of Christ, you're a, a new creation in Christ. Let's look at a, a soldier as the, the Bible describes it. First, he's a child of God and is described by the Holy Spirit, but it's described that he is not his own. He, he doesn't own his own life. His time belongs to a master. So does his body. He goes where he's told. He eats what he's given. He wears what is supplied. He has no will of his own, but is an implicit soldier of the military forces. He studies the ways of the enemy. He finds the means of defense from the enemy and of offense toward the enemy. This should be true of every believer. Now, when the Holy Spirit is writing this, he takes it and he likens it to a Roman soldier. And today we can look at the soldiers today, the soldier's life. And our life is like that in the same way, but only in a spiritual sense. Like soldiers, we must be willing to, to face the, the opposition. And sometimes it's fierce. It's face to face. And it will experience suffering as a wage of spiritual warfare because of her loyalty to the Lord. You know, if you want to read and study more on it, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Well, we want to begin in verse 3 of our text today because what we're going to see is the soldier's obligation. The soldier's obligation. Verse 3 says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, a soldier, whether he's in the, the army of, of the world or he's in a spiritual army of the Lord, will suffer hardship. Suffering hardship suggests pain and suffering is, is part of the, the Christian's life. And it's true of the, those that are in the military. In some way, they're going to experience some kind of suffering Sometimes it's maybe just as, as narrow as being separated from their loved ones, from their friends, not having their own life. And that's what happens when you become a believer. It's not that everything is fine and there's never any problems. That's untrue. That's kind of like the, the gospel. The people says, just come to Jesus and everything's fine. But that's not the truth. That's what they call easy believerism and the person that comes and, and just believes. And when things go wrong, he, he runs, he flees his master, he abandons, he aborts ship. And, and that's why we see so much sometimes, again, where people are fleeing the body of Christ. In fact, today, the body of Christ is shrinking in this country. And the last statistic I saw is 12% of the adults in this country 12% less believe today than they did 10 years ago. The amount of atheists and agnostics in, in this country has increased by 25%. There's a spiritual battle going on, and we cannot just bury our heads in the sand. We must be aware, alert. We must be praying. We must be standing firm. We must be fighting 
and, and for the, the battle is the Lord's. We follow the Lord, and he will guide you. He will show you. He will cause you to stand and be offensive and defensive. It is a battle, not just for the pastor, not just for the Sunday school worker, but every child and every adult. Now, this is true, again, for every person in the body of Christ. The enemy will attack. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 29, Paul lists a, a series of hardships he went through, all because he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he faithfully was following and being led by the Spirit. See, following Christ will expose a believer to persecution. The Bible is very clear in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. If you desire to walk as, as Christ walked in this life, if you desire to, to reach out as, as Paul and Timothy and the Apostle John, and Billy Graham, and, and all those that have gone into this world evangelizing, looking to fulfill the Great Commission, they all experience this battle. They all experience persecution in some way. Notice again in verse 4, uh, there's a call for a single-minded desire to please God. The focus, we're here to please our master. We're here to bring glory and honor to him. We already know that we're going to go and be with the king one day. You already know that we're going to heaven. But all of this is preparation. And for now, our desire, our goal, should be to lift up the king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who gave himself on the cross for you and me. Well, as a good soldier, our desire should be to want to please the Lord. But there's a warfare going on. There's an evil world system. The believer's sinful human nature pops its head up all the time to draw you away, and, and Satan looks again to, to come, steal, and destroy, to bring division. In Ephesians 6, as I mentioned, we see God's people serving as soldiers. So the, the, you're going to see this throughout the Bible. But in Ephesians, he uses such terms as stand and wrestle and withstand and quench the fiery darts. We need to learn how to stand and be firm to withstand the attacks of the enemy. This warfare, it gives us this idea that it's, it's up close. It's in your face. And sometimes, as believers, that we can be very naive to what's going on. And we buy in to the lie. Sometimes a hook, line, and sinker, and before we know it, we've, we've been drawn away. We've sinned against the one we've loved. We've not called to memory that scripture that we've hidden in our hearts that we didn't want to sin against the Lord. See, 
Timothy as a good soldier was to endure the hardship. The soldier was to be steadfast in his conduct. His greatest ability was his dependability. And every one of us are to endure the hardship, no matter what is coming our way. God is our strength. God is our rock. God will sustain us. God will keep us. That's God's side, but our our part is to make ourselves available to God, to follow God, to keep ourselves in the love of God, that we experience His hand upon our lives, His hand of blessing. Well, again, we need to be steadfast in our conduct. We need to be consistent in dependability. We need to be dependable to one another, dependable to the the Lord, to stand firm with one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to pray for the church and pray for the pastor, pray for this community, that we would see a revival before our eyes, that we see God's glory coming into Hilo. Not just numbers being added to a church, shifting from this church to that church, but people truly passionate on fire and in love with God and in love with the other believers. In love with those that God loves but hate the sin that's entangled them. That we would be steadfast, we would be dependable, and no matter what we're going through, we would remain on that front line just as Paul had been, as Timothy was called to do. In spite of whatever persecution, whatever difficult task the Lord has given us, we're to sacrifice for the work and for our Lord. See, serving the Lord, being a child of God, is, it's not a cushy job. No, it's a battle, and, and yet so often, oh, God, just bless me, God, bless me, God, bless me. It's true, each and every day, God blesses you. The greatest blessing, though, is his presence. The greatest blessing is to hear those words, good and faithful servant, that you've gone out as God has shown you. You've spoken and done what God has called you to speak and do. See, what happens is when when times get tough and the people flee, as we're starting to see in this country, we've already seen it in Europe, where we used to be sending out more missionaries than people, getting saved. This country was saved. A lot of people had good Christian moral values, even though they weren't Christians, but there were a lot of Christians that had a great influence, but you don't see that anymore. You don't see it in Europe anymore. This place, our own country, is a mission field. The percentage of Christians in this country is shrinking and will continue to shrink. Even if one church over here grows big and then another one grows big and this one goes out. I seen a church once that had 25 people and then about in about six months, this church exploded. It had four, 500 people but the church no longer exists today because people were looking for a quick fix. They were looking for something that wasn't from God, but they thought was God. 
they did not know the word of God. See, a soldier who's not willing to suffer will not last long. He'll abandon his weapons, his tools, and he'll flee. This will reveal the apostate, the one who knew in his mind who God was, but never truly became a born-again believer. Oh, he was the one that praised God, hallelujah, louder than everyone else, but he's now the one that is no longer walking with the Lord. Because when tough times come, they flee, and it reveals the true character of that person. He often hides out among large fellowships, avoids getting uh, involved, hoping that no one will notice him. But in 2 Timothy 2.9, notice what this scripture says. For which I suffer hardship, even imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not in prison. Paul's in prison because of standing for the word of God and proclaiming that word of God. But he says, I may be in prison. But the word of God is not in prison. It's moving free. It's reaching out. It's empowering people. And that's what we need to do today is, is free this world with the word of God. That word must be manifest in our life. It must change our life. And we go out and we speak the truth. But one of the greatest things that you and I need to do is pray. Because you can speak the word, but you need to be praying that God would open their hearts, bind the enemy's hands, open the eyes of the blind, their minds, that they would know who God is. See, God does his part, but our part is to be steadfast, to be firm, to be praying. And we'll know whether we're a true Christian because all who desire to live godly will be persecuted in some way. It doesn't mean you're going to be thrown in a prison, but it does mean some of your friends will abandon you. Why? Because you're in love with Jesus, and you always talk about the things that are important to you, the people that are important to you, that you love, and it will drive them away. It will either draw them into the kingdom, or they will flee. Well, there's a conflict. It's with our flesh and it's our spirit. It's with the believer and the world. And there's a war going on. Notice again in verse 4, we see the soldier's opposition. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Now, the soldier is described in this verse 4 is it described as he's in active duty. He's in the, in the thicket of the battle. He's in the, the middle of the war zone. He doesn't get out of the war and go hang out with life. He doesn't go and hang out on the enemy lines. Now, the word says that he does not entangle himself. This is a, a rare verb found only twice in the Bible. This is entangling or ensnaring a, a soldier in civil affairs. Not, not the spiritual battle. He, he's avoiding it. He's looking to not deal with it, just to, to be like the world. He's compromising, but he doesn't even realize it. 
the word also is used and speaks of a danger of becoming entangled or entrapped. It, 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 the word would be used in the sense of a, a, a sheep, a goat, that would get their horns and entangled in thorns. See, the soldier is not to entangle himself in the world and worldly affairs and worldly things. He is he's to be single-minded. He is to recognize he's in a battle. He's here in this world to proclaim the kingdom of God. He, in a sense, is like John the Baptist. He's a, a forerunner preparing someone to come in the kingdom. John had a, a message. And the message was they needed to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the soldier, when a person looks at him, they're living in light of eternity and people say there's something different. He doesn't need to be obnoxious. No, that's not how Christians act. He is to be loving, he's kind, he's compassionate, but he's in a war. And he will stand firm, steadfast against the enemy attacks. He will pray. He'll pray for his friends. And he'll pray and pray and pray. And then he'll pray some more. He doesn't have time to fraternize with the enemy. James 4.4 4 says this, You adulteresses. Do you not know friendship with the world is hostility toward God? If you're a believer, you're unequally yoked with this world system. Yet the world system, the Satan is going to try and draw you back, desensitize you, get you focused. It may be just focused on education, which education is good, but your whole life is going to be on education. Your whole life is upon a job or your whole life is upon a, a hobby. And his goal is to say, well, I I really don't have time to spend with God. I really don't have time to, to be in the Word. How can you stand firm? You need fresh manna, fresh Word and power each day. You need that, again, to be in the love of God, to be filled with the love of God each morning, to sit his feet and be filled again. To go out and pour his love into a world that doesn't know the love of God. Look at Mark 4, 18 and 19 with me. And others are the ones whom the seed was sown among the thorns, These are the ones who heard the word, but the worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches, the desire of other things, enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This is the parable of the sower. This is the interpretation of it. There were four different soil conditions. Only one soil condition was there ever fruit. Now notice these here, okay, uh, they heard the word, they received the word, but notice they were drawn away by the worries of the world. Oh, there's, there's a war going on. Looking at the evil and the richness, or, or, or maybe it's the, the deceitful riches. If I only have more money, 
then my marriage will be good. Or if I only have more money, I will be happy. Desire for things, materialism, cause the word to be choked out in a person's life and to become unfruitful. There's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with working. It's only when those things master you and control you that you're drawn away from the very heart of God. It's easy. We see it happen every day. Every pastor sees it. Every congregation sees it. There's people that have been serving along in the ministry and all of a sudden they're drawn away. 2 Timothy 4.10 describes such a scene for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. He went on to Thessalonica. What a tragedy. The last word we hear about Demas, uh, it's not good. He's drawn away. The things he's drawn after this present world. He loved this present world. He walked away. You've seen it. I've seen it. Sometimes it's in our families, personal families. Sometimes it's just somebody we know, whether it be in this church or another church. I've heard people say, well, I just want to hear the prophetic word, and they they want to hear some prophecy, and they're searching after something else other than the, the for sure word of God. You know, this is the word of God, the true word of God. It tells you what you need to know. It, it, it guides you. It protects you. Listen to Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. See, it's this word that we, we hide in our hearts. We don't sin against God. It's this word that washes us and cleanses us and renews us. It's this word that girds us up and strengthens us. Because while every one of us here are sinners saved by grace, we still have the old nature in us until the day that God takes us home. Every day that you and I are tempted. Every sin in your life and in my life, sure, we can confess our sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, but the temptation's there every day. And we're tempted in the same way again and again and again. And the schemes of the devil are the same. They never change. And that's why we need to know this word. Look with me in 1 John 2, 2, verses 15 and 20. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father, but from the world. This world is passing away, and its lust pass away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. 
This is the source of all of our sin. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. We need to know it and think about it. We need to build a protection around us, walls. We need to have these triggers when the old man's knocking on our door, when the enemy is attacking. This is sin, and I will not sin against God. Now, there are many things in this world. There's nothing wrong with them. But when we're living for them, that's what the Scripture is saying. Possessions, we acquire them. We pay for them. But to maintain some of these things, sometimes it's like they master you. They control you. That you're living for things. Sometimes even it's, it's projects. It could be building projects. It could be work projects, hobby projects, where it possesses all your time, and there's no time left to be equipped as a soldier, to be refreshed as a soldier, to be prepared as a soldier. And the enemy gets a foothold. Personal interests, hobbies, travel, social functions, all these things are pulled. There, there's nothing wrong with them, but when these outweigh our personal relationship and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're in trouble. The enemy has got a foothold in your life or my life. And then there's people. Nothing wrong with people. And some people won't want to control your time, control your mind. The enemy plants people in, in your life that keep you so busy. They have no time for him. Sometimes uh, the enemy plants the fact, and it seems odd, but you're a Messiah. Well, you're not the Messiah. There's only one Messiah. That's Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior but you're going to save the world. And he brings people into your life that just occupy all your time and you cannot do the, the work of the Lord because you're consumed by those who really don't want help. So these things, they're not wrong in themselves. They only become wrong when they allow Christ to be crowded out of your life. Warren Worsby, an author and pastor to pastors, he wrote this, the best thing that you can do for your family is everything for the church. And the best thing that you can do for the church is everything for your family. There's a balance. Yes, we serve the church. We serve one another in love. We, we serve in this community reaching out. But we cannot neglect our family. If you're a man, a father, a grandfather, you're the spiritual leader in the home. Are you leading the flock? Your family into the presence of God? Are you an example of how Christ walked? When you speak to your wife, how do you speak? Is it in love and tenderness and grace, or is it 
and anger and bitterness and condemnation. It's so easy to let the enemy get a foothold in. That's why we need to start the day with the Lord. He wakes us up to pray. He wakes us up to refresh us with His Word. See, sadly, many soldiers of Christ have refused to heed the warnings. They've suffered the consequences. Some have even shipwrecked their faith. As we read in Timothy, you'll see it again and again. Does this mean that that those in the Lord's service should never engage in secular occupations? No, no, certainly not. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not allowed uh, to entangle ourselves. Let, Let work become so overcoming. So draw us away from from having time with Christ, having time with our family. Sometimes we just need to step back and say, you know, I I can't do that. And believe the very promise of God that when you stand firm that He will provide you a job. He'll provide the means that you can provide for your family, but have time for Him. The only things that matter are the things you do for Christ that will go into eternity. For your boss, for this world, none of that's going to go with you. Now think of Paul. Paul was a tent maker, yet he was a preacher of righteousness. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. But many say today, well, I can't preach on a job. Well, you don't need to preach on the job, but you can live the life of Christ on that job. You can live so much like Christ that when people are going through something, they will come to you personally and ask, well, how how do you do this? How did you get through this situation? It becomes a springboard for proclaiming Christ. The sharing the, the words and hope of Jesus Christ. Paul worked, yes, to earn what he needed. He was a tent maker. And he planted churches. There's not a reason in any one of the churches, God's churches, that there shouldn't be many Bible studies going, whether it's one or two people or two people meeting, discipleship as as we see in the Bible. Unless a person just refuses to to be used by God. See, we're all called to go and make disciples. Every one of us in the body of Christ are to be actively making disciples. You either need to become a disciple, and that means somebody has to disciple you, or you need to be making disciples. As a mom, it will start with her own children. A father, it begins in the home personal devotions and times. Look at verse 4 again. We see the, the soldier's objective. So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. This should be the greatest desire of every believer, to exalt the king, to magnify his name. 
to lift him up that, that all can see him. To please Christ. Just as a child, a young child wants to do something for their mom, their father, the police, they're longing for that, that smile, that you know, confirmation that they're happy and, and they love it. We should have that same desire to honor God. The Gospel, John chapter 8, 29 says this, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I read that one morning, read it about Jesus, and I had to stop, and I had to confess. I don't always do the things that are pleasing unto the Lord. God was speaking to me, and he wanted to, to break my heart where his heart is broken. He wants more of me, and he wants more of you too. Do you always do the things that are pleasing to him? See, the word is to speak to our hearts. We, when we come to it, we, we listen. We're, we want to hear his commands. We want to hear the times that, that when we get off base that, to say, hey, look, do you know where you're at? Like Adam and Eve in the garden when, when they were in sin, and God says, Adam, where are you? He says to me, he says to you, hey, John, Ron, where are you? Tim, where are you? Susie, where are you? Where are you in your walk today? Is it a, a walk that's desiring to please God? A person can go about a lot of religious things, but it's not the things that God has called you to do or the things he's showing you. Sometimes we're doing things for God and we're not doing the things of God. We need to stop and repent and go back and sit and be still before him and know that he is God. Matthew 7, 15, or excuse me, Matthew 17 Verse 5, it says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is Jesus Christ he's speaking of. He's being transfigured. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When you and I are pleasing unto the Lord, the Lord is sending out the Spirit, and the Spirit is saying, listen to him, listen to her. Because you and I will be speaking words of hope, words of encouragement. We'll be comforting others with the comfort we've received in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew twenty five twenty one, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of the master. See, sometimes we're afraid that God's going to entrust us with more. People are not ready to to make a commitment to the Lord. They just want to get by. 
like in school, they just, they just want to pass. But he wants you to get in all the way. He wants all of you. When he has all of you, when he has your commitment, your life, you will be walking in the Spirit. You too will be a a good and faithful servant. The only reason a person will never be a, a, a good and faithful servant is because they lack a commitment to God. Let me ask you a question. Are you committed to God? I think most of us really don't understand what it means to be committed. This is where God has put us. We know we're in the middle of God's will, and no matter what we're confronted with, God is greater and bigger, and he makes us steadfast. And we would not give this up for anything. Commitment. Commitment to be in the place that God would have. Maybe God would have them stay there. They're always looking for someplace else. Is greener the other side of the hill? I don't care where you go. There's always problems. Because there's people and there's sin. Let me read a letter that Billy Graham read years ago. It, it speaks about that idea of commitment. This young man has commitment to a cause which is not a good cause. And yet you and I have a cause, a reason to be committed to God because he's given us life and he's given us life more abundant and it is eternal for those who believe and trust in him. But yet, the believer is not always committed. Doesn't realize how important. And yet there are people who are committed to causes that are destructive. Let me read the letter. Years ago, there was a letter being passed around from a young communist disciple who was recently released from jail. His letter was written to his fiancée, breaking off their engagement. Although deceived and misguided by communist deception, he possessed what 90% of the professing Christians, especially young ones. We communists have a high casualty rate. We are the ones who get shot and hung and ridiculed and fired from our jobs in every other way made uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us will get killed, imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists do not have time for money, for movies or concerts or T-bone steaks, decent homes or even new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life that no amount of money can buy. 
We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves to a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our ego appear to suffer, though, through the subordination to the party, then we're adequately compensated by the thought that each of us, in some small way, is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There's one thing in which I am dead earnest about. That is the communist cause. It's my life, my business, my religion and my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my breath, my meat. I work at it in the daytime, dream of it at nighttime. It holds on me, grows, not lessens. As time goes on, therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating this force to both drives that guides my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, actions, according to how they affect the communist cause by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideas. If necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. Commitment. What kind of commitment do you have to the Lord, to the church, to your brothers and sisters here, to your own family, to the cause of Jesus Christ? The best thing that you can do for your family is everything for the church, the body of Christ. And the best thing for the church is everything you can do for your family. It begins with a commitment. You're called into the, the Lord's army. There will be conflict. It'll be in your own home. It'll be in your workplaces every place you go. There's a battle going on. We need to choose. Will we stand for Christ? Will we be committed to Christ? The cause of Christ? Or will we abandon the faith? Will we be apostate? In the end times, it talks about apostasy will increase. We see it already in the body of Christ. We see it in, in some mainland, mainline denominations leaving orthodox traditional values, denying the virgin birth of Christ, the inerrancy of the word, determining what Jesus really said and what he didn't said according to their opinion. Going against what the very word says, it, it's happening, we're, we're here. None of us know how much time is left, but we are to recognize the times and the seasons. When you decide to stand firm in Christ, to be steadfast, when the conflict comes, 
you will suffer in some way. Paul's exhorting Timothy to to suffer with him. It's all worth it, he's saying, for the glory of the king. See, the strong soldier of Jesus Christ suffers hardship no matter what the hardship is. He stays focused upon the cause of Christ. That's the the reaching and and dying world with the, the message of hope, the good news of Jesus Christ. He seeks to to please the king who's chosen him to to be a soldier, told him, warned him. But the soldier needs to heed the message. And if he abandons ship, he really never was a soldier. He really never was a believer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this difficult message that reminds us that we are in a, in a battle zone and there is a war going on. And Father, we confess that at times we've been naive. We haven't prayed. We see the battle going on in politics. We see the, the battle going on, whether it be our federal government or, or state governments or local governments. We see the values are changing and the only value this world can save this world is, is you, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we ask that you would empower us, that you would give us desires to go and make disciples, that you would give us a desire to stand firm and steadfast in the faith, that we would not avoid conflict, but we would be steadfast in what we know and and the fact that we know you. And we will bring the words of life to this lost world. God, pour your spirit upon us. And all God's people said, Amen.